former U.S. National Rugby Team captain. Team captain. Head coach and general manager. General manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magelbay. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Joining me today is fellow Dartmouth alum, NCAA All-American, Olympian long-distance athlete, runner, writer, director, filmmaker, all-around amazing person, Alexi Pavas. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hello. Do you go by Lexi? Do you go like, what what do people call you? What's the nickname? it's kind of what they want. Like my full name is Alexi and some people call me Alexi. Some people call me Lexi and some people like my dad call me Lex. Yeah. That's what my mom calls me Lex as growing up. So we got kind of kindred spirit there, which is very cool. Yes. (laughs) Okay. We're going to jump right into a bit of wordplay. I'm just going to say a word and say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Alameda. Home. Dog day players. Growing up. (laughs) <laughs> Rio Olympics Bravey Book The Bravies My Loves The Big Green Dartmouth The Ducks Oregon The Bun Hair My Hair <laughs> Amazing Now I'm going to give you some uh pick pick your take your pick Marathon versus 10k Marathon I'm still trying but I I have to will it to Make it my friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, we'll get into that. Uh, tea versus coffee. Coffee. Donut versus ice cream. Donut. Pizza versus steak. Steak. Writing versus directing. Writing. Penelope versus plum. Uh, Penelope. Oh, and I haven't seen that one yet, so I got to find out more. Pong versus dance party. Right now, Pong. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, mullet versus Mohawk. Mullet. Okay. And it's pertinent because I'm trying to do a fundraiser. I'm trying to decide. My hair's gone crazy during COVID. And I'm trying to decide if I do a mullet or a Mohawk. I'm trying to raise some money for mental health awareness. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm trying to decide if I go for a mullet or a Mohawk. Okay. That really helps. So I'm going to go for a mullet. You heard it here first, yeah. folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you been, <laughs> a bit about your background um alameda uh so kind of the oakland area california to dartmouth totally across the country why did you why'd you end up making that transition well it was quite the transition first of all i had a great like mentor in the like in a counselor in high school and she recommended that I look at Dartmouth and I went and visited when I was in high school and it felt like a place that I could love and I think m- for most people if they have the chance to visit you know a place they might want to go to school or might want to live you get like a certain feeling and it it's not like it felt like home because it was totally different Um, but it did feel like a place that could be home. And so I went and it was, it was a shock to go across the country for school and to experience seasons for the first time. And so it really took the whole year for me to fall in love with the place. But I knew that if I hung in there, I would. And my dad has always been one to not let me quit. So even though 
I was very challenged the first term or two at Dartmouth academically and geographically. I hung in there. That's awesome. And you love the big green and did very well. And I had a similar experience. I went from Utah, you know, in the mountains of Utah to get as far away as I possibly could. Uh, you know, but you get this feeling when you kind of visit the campus yeah. for the first time, which is amazing. Then you went to Dartmouth to the Ducks, like you went to Oregon, you know, for a for a fifth year, do a master's. What why why Oregon? Yeah, so it's funny because they call you a transfer, but I really I graduated Dartmouth and did grad school at Oregon and I had this these two seasons left of running eligibility and I wanted to go to a place where my one potential team point would really make the most impact. And at Oregon, they're, you know, some of the best runners in the country. My one point, you know, made all the difference in the world to us winning national titles. And so it was, it was just fun to have, you know, your running matter in a different way than it could when I was at Dartmouth. And I loved them both equally, but differently. Yeah. It's amazing. And so you're at Oregon or you're going, you're deciding if you're going to go to Oregon or not. You've also have this very creative mind and you're thinking about potentially doing poetry and chasing filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And how do you then compromise that with, you know, obviously trying to continue as an elite runner, make it to the Olympics. And then suddenly you're making movies. Like how did you go from running at Oregon to being an Olympian as well as making a feature length film? And how did that that transition happen? Yeah. You know, I think on paper or, or maybe from afar, it seems like these like abrupt shifts, but really nothing was so abrupt. It's more like, I think as people, we have like a number of like crock pots going at, at any one time, like slow cookers. And I was a creative person before I was a competitive runner. So at Dartmouth, you mentioned the dog day players. So I was really into improv and poetry also before I was like an Olympic caliber runner. And so the creative stuff was always going on. It just was not always the thing that people saw first and um, I, I've always liked having a balance with the full understanding that like the running won't be forever. And also, so that I think when you know that a sport isn't going to be forever, it both makes you want to commit fully when you're in it. And it also makes you aware that it's smart to have something for afterwards. And so I chased that Olympic opportunity while that window, you know, felt open. And, and then with the film stuff, that was entirely possible while running and has also given me a platform and a career for, you know, the rest of my life when I might not run at the Olympic level forever. Yeah. Which is such a healthy mindset to have as a, as a young aspiring elite athlete, but it's like the crock box you talk about great analogy, but it's not like you had like potatoes in one and carrots in the other <laughs> you had Olympic aspirations, you know, flame and young and, uh, you know, being, Aww. you know, making real movies, which is very cool and, and acting in them and everything else, which are so two great crockpots. So let's, let's take apart one of those the Olympics, right? So yeah. you ended up actually representing Greece. How did mm-hmm. that come up? So I ran in the 2012 trials for the U S I did fine. I mean, I was good steeplechaser And then I moved up to the 10K and had met this mentor from the Greek community and learned a lot about like the different kind of opportunities and impact I could make competing for Greece. Firstly, 
that they'd never had a 10K runner at the Olympics. So it would be a really historical moment. And that in general, female athletics there are in a different place than they are in the U.S. And so my ability to like have an impact there has been huge. And going to the Olympics with Greece is like unlike any other country because their pride for it and their history with it is so deep and and long rooted that it just felt like a different Olympic experience. Um, I still wanted to run like as competitive as anyone else. And I ran, you know, really, really well at the Olympics, but I felt like competing for Greece meant that my Olympic experience was about like a bigger thing than just my individual Olympic goal. It was more like a whole community, a whole country's dream. And I felt that I felt that when I was running, which was pretty magical. That is, that is fantastic. And it's, and it's awesome. And, but like, so you transition, suddenly it's a new culture. It's a new, it's a new high performance system. Um, it's a new team and, and you had to transition there fairly quickly. How, how did that happen, that transition? And how did you make that work? Yeah. Well, so with running, it's interesting because your team is not necessarily like your country. There are clubs all over the, the world and, So I stayed on a club team that had Americans, had Kenyans, like we were from all different countries. So my training looked similar when I decided to compete for Greece. I think where it shifted was I did go and do some training camps over there. I did one of those earlier this year for a few months. So you do spend more time, you know, over there. And uh, I've been able to learn different things because European approaches to sports are really different. They're, it's a little different than American approach. Sure. Um, just, you know, that's like kind of more nerdy and detail oriented, but I found um, that I was learning different things. And also you might relate to just putting yourself in more uh, situations to be around athletes that you're not a hundred percent comfortable around, like different kinds of athletes will help you rise so that when you are in an international competition, you're not going to fold. Like you're, you're, you're used to being around people you aren't, you didn't grow up with, for example. Um, so I think it made me a more dynamic athlete to put myself in different types of training and racing situations. Sure. And it'd be probably a bit more self-reliant and your support systems are different. You have to learn different support systems. You know, certainly with the Free Jacks, we have 11 different countries represented. And, oh, um, wow. To get access so are, to sorry yeah, to ahead. interrupt. No, go, go Is ahead. Is it similar with your Free Jacks where athletes will be competing with Free Jacks and then when an Olympic year comes around, they will go to their respective countries? That's absolutely right. Our World Cup was last year in Japan in 2019, and we had multiple players from different countries, you know, certainly some Americans, but um, Canadians and and other countries that represented their country, uh, you know, Tonga and and a few others who play for play for the Free Jacks, and they then they play against each other, right? And the the great thing about our sport at at its core is, yes, the sport is very important, and the competitiveness of the sport is very important. It's a very physical sport. There is some aerobic capacity to it, but it's you know, there's a lot of anaerobic to it but at the end of it like when the when the whistle blows you shake each other's hand you, you have a yes. meal together, and that's like it's it's very much olympism like our sport represents that so well and it always has it's just that sport is fantastic and it's great but it's we don't hate each other after it's just sport we competed we sat down to play chess one person won one person didn't we worked really hard while we played but at the end of, at the end of it we're, we're we're still friends and we're buddies and that's a great thing i think rugby has been uh, uh, delivers which is pretty cool 
Yeah, my you know that experience. My brother played college rugby in Oregon and at Willamette, and I was so amazed when I went to watch him the camaraderie afterwards. I was like, man, that's really unique because not every sport has that kind of respect for the team. Exactly. Well said. And then that's what happens in the, with the fans too. I mean, the fans are cheering on different teams, but they're also cheering on the sport when either team does something well. And, you know, they're hanging out with each other and having a great time and singing songs. And it's just a great festival kind of atmosphere. So we got to get you to a free Jacks game. What a match. We we definitely do. Uh, Once you're done (laughs) next time you're back in new England. Absolutely. Um, But you talk about team there a bit and like an individual sport, um, but then the team is important. Like, okay, so how, how do you manage that? And then, then what it's like, what's like the team culture atmosphere. You have to then go, you're, you're directing a film, you're directing track town, you know, you're writing, you're acting in it. How did, how did you manage the team aspect of that? Like, how does that, what are the crossovers there? Yeah. So um, I think I might sneeze, which you might've taken. Okay. Take out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so team in running is such an, it's a, it's an interesting concept because most people, you know, it is an individual sport at its, um, it seems like an individual sport because one person, you know, you're crossing the finish line by yourself, but at its best running is definitely a team sport, especially in training. Um, you know, if you can find people to have integrity with like where you're always going to do your best, but you hope that your teammate is right there next to you, you'll definitely be better off. Um, and then with filmmaking, similarly, I think that's why I really, took to filmmaking over poetry writing, for example, because I liked that it was like this team uh, effort and that there's one goal that we're all trying to achieve, which is to make this project happen. And uh, I think the leadership you develop playing sports is so appropriate. You know, it's so helpful in filmmaking. Uh, It also you know, I think you can relate to just knowing what it is to lose. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like losing, I suppose, in the arts and it's not really such a big deal. It's just part of it. And I think if you approach it like an athlete, you understand that and you can have the longevity to, to really get to the next level. Um, so I think I've just been able to take the ups and downs like an athlete and, carry hopefully carry my teams with that energy of like this is actually a part of it it's not it's not weird to have challenges or setbacks yeah and i love that and suddenly you're making you're making a movie and then it's like okay does it do well at the box office is it how does it do on rotten tomatoes it's also art and how do you compromise in your you know in your mind that it's the art but it's part of the business part of it that's, that's very unique so you're when you're like say, say track town for example you're you're starring in the show you're part of you're part of writing it. You wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're part of directing it. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, how did you manage that? How did you manage starring in something where you have to manage the the, the culture of the set? Um, how did how did that work? So yeah, like as a young indie filmmaker, you have to wear many many hats. And with Tracktown, that was our first my first feature film. I had to wear like a million hats from, you know, fundraising to casting to directing and writing and acting. And I think the key is that just like when you look at the things that I'm doing in my life, it seems like you're doing everything at once, but you're actually always doing one thing at a time. 
And I think that's the thing that people can really take from this is like, yes, you might be a number of things, but at any one moment, you're one of those things. Um, with directing, Jeremy, my husband and I are a team. And so we would often like talk off to the side, but when we were actually shooting, I was acting and he was directing. And so my directing happened in a more um, behind the scenes way. Cause it's also important to have one leader on set. And I think the director really is that person. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that it seems like a, to be a multi-hyphenate person in anything is to know how to focus at, at any one moment on what your task is then, right? Yeah, which is brilliant. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's the, you, there's 10,000 things that need to be done. You're wearing multiple hats. Which hat are you wearing at any one time? And being, being very clear, I think, is your point. Success comes from when you decide to just wear the one hat. And, you know, you look through the world at that moment through, you know, basically those sunglasses and you're not doing other things. I think that is that is a that is a craft in and of itself, um, which is really impressive that you've been able to do that. And you can clearly go from one thing to the other. Uh, which is which is a challenge. That I think that's uh, you know as, a, as an executive that that continues to be a challenge, right? Um, is 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 making those decisions on priorities and okay, which hat am I actually wearing now? Let's not pretend I'm wearing ten. Let's let's yeah. wear the one. You know, I think that's a that's yeah. a really important part. And then, so your next movie, Olympic Games, you guys actually filmed that in the village of Pyeongchang. Is that is that is that is that what really happened in 2018? They yeah. gave you access. How'd you get that? That's very cool. Thank you. So the president um, of the Olympics, President Bach, um, saw Tracktown on an airline and he reached out and invited me to be a part of this artist in residency program, which started in 2016 as an effort for the Olympics to bring the arts back to the Olympic Games, which was historically important. And he asked if we wanted to make a video project. And I'm a big dreamer so instead of doing just like short little videos i asked if we could shoot you know a feature film and they were like i don't know if you can capture all that footage but you're welcome to try and we were able to bring nick kroll as an actor alongside me and we shot a feature film at the winter olympics in 2018 and it was just so cool because we we're able to use the energy, the sets, all the athletes from the Olympic Games um, and tell a fictional story that could have happened. And I think that uh, was was special because, uh, you know, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I think we made the most of it. And we brought it to South by Southwest. And it has done very well so it was yeah, that was awesome and it's not like you get a repeat that like it's like you gotta everything's gotta be, be set up and so very cool were the athletes able to be a part of that like i'm competing yeah. i want to be a skier I'm, I'm i'm looking to win a gold and and then i have a chance now to kind of jump in this film uh every once in a while is that like was that yeah possible? So I know what like an athlete looks like when they're about to compete or they don't want to talk. <laughs> yes. And so I was really respectful of that. But when I, when we were in the village and I would see athletes, you know, bored in the game room or just wandering around, I asked if they wanted to have a little cameo in our movie and they were either, you know, genuinely into movies or they were bored or they loved Nick Kroll or, you know, any number of reasons. And we'd pull them and they would play basically a slightly heightened or fictionalized version of themselves. Um, and that was really special because 
athletes are used to being interviewed in the kind of official athletic way, but this was more like them letting their guard down a little bit. And I think we got some really nice organic performances. Nick is like also excellent at working with people and improvising. So he was a great team player for that. But yeah, we, everyone in the movie except for Nick Kroll was a real Olympian. That's awesome. That's really cool. So I have to watch that for sure. So, so you, your experience, like as an athlete that was in Rio, what's your favorite Rio story? Like I, I loved being there. It was, it was fantastic. That was our first Olympics. That was the first time rugby had been back in the Olympics since 1924. The U S had oh, won wow. then, but this was seven, seven aside rugby and you know, our women and men were there and we were competing on the first few days. Uh, so we were kind of in and out, uh, kind of at the start of it, this, this ceremony, the opening ceremony, uh, women competed, uh, then the men competed, then kind of we, we left town. Um, oh. and, and some of the athletes were able to stay that, that wanted to and, and obviously have the post-Olympic experience. But in the village, so you had that, that whole village experience there as an athlete. What was what were some of your favorite parts of that? I loved it. I mean, I was there for the whole month. I made it my home. I think what I liked most was having a routine there. Like really the best way to approach the Olympics is to – I think not not treat it like any other event and treat it as what what exactly what it is, which is like chaotic and different yeah. and wonderful. And so I loved like getting there and figuring out like what is my version of home here and letting that be different than my real home. Um, and you know, my rugby actually story is that after the opening ceremonies it's so chaotic as you might remember i just got on a bus and i was on the bus with like the whole australian rugby team yeah, i believe yeah, yeah and i sat next to this guy named alex i think okay. and i have a photo with him and he was just like so jolly and like having the best time and he i feel like he inspired me to just really lean into like the olympic spirit because i was just a couple of days away from my competition so i was like oh i'm staying up so late i'm not like i'm here but i'm nervous and he really helped me just like embrace it as a celebration and i think that that is the olympic spirit is when you can be affected by each other in that way yeah that's awesome and their women's team was unbelievable um, at that time as well. But, yeah, that's great. And the mate, 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 just, just enjoy it. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I was like, all right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And talk about a country that's done very well in, in the Olympics, despite not having the population relative to medals one, which is, which is fantastic. Um, as a runner, right. You've obviously as an elite runner been in, um, it's a very, very challenging sport in terms of like, okay, you have to get up every day. You have to be very, very consistent. And then, you you have to deal with pain all the time, whether that's while you're running, whether that's after you're running. How have you consistently kind of dealt with all of that and, and continue to, to chase the craft of running? I think, you know, I've tried to do other, I've played, I mean, I grew up playing other sports, but I've also tried other sports since focusing on running and it still is my favorite thing. And I think it's because I'm a very, I like, like efficiency. And I'm like, okay, with running, it hurts pretty much immediately. And <laughs> you, don't, you can't, you don't have to do it for that long to get a lot out of it. You see beautiful places. It's a pretty social sport. You know, when you're not going really hard, you're doing your regular easy days, you can talk to people. So like, it is a lovely sport. It's a lovely, lovely sport. And I think the painful parts of it are something that I've come to understand are not 
you know, I, I try to think about pain as a sensation and not a threat. And I think once you can have that relationship with pain, it becomes less scary and less, uh, you know, negative. So I, I think it's just been uh, a good, like, lifelong sport for me, you know? Clearly, clearly not a redhead because our pain tolerance is not like it. Is that right? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, but really, really good vitamin D efficiency. Like, I don't need to take vitamin D supplements as when I was no. a, a, a quasi elite athlete. It, it's a very impressive sport in general, and people who can do, can do that consistently. It's a, it's a really impressive, uh, you know, and, and you've you've gone through those transitions and, and, and now are you still chasing? Are you still chasing kind of Tokyo? Like what's your, what's your mindset right now around that? Yeah. So it's a really interesting question because I ran, I've, I've tried, I moved up to the marathon because I felt like I had had my 10 K just like the best experience of my life. And I was curious about the marathon. So I moved up, I ran a big nine minute PR in January and then I was going to go, try to run a more like run the Olympic standard in like April. And I had gone to Greece to train and then COVID happened and all the races were postponed. And so I wasn't able to actually run that race yet. And it kept getting postponed and it's still postponed. And so I'm training and I think I'm going to try to run an Olympic qualifying race this like either December or January, whenever it's possible. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's still definitely a goal. It's just needing to embrace the world and not feel angsty that like, I can't control when those opportunities will come about. And with the marathon, it's actually really challenging because you can't run a million marathons. They're so hard on your body. So I'm trying to just like have the, you know, the kindness and humility to understand that like, it's not entirely up to me how many chances I'll have but I'll just do my best to be there if there is an opportunity that comes up, which there should be. Um, so yeah, it's still, it's on the calendar. I think I'm might be going back to Greece pretty soon to refocus those final, uh, you know, months or so, but it kind of depends on the state of the world as well. Yeah, let me get this straight. You're going to Greece to run a marathon. <laughs> you can't make that up. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> well, the marathon is somewhere in Europe, but I think I'm going to go training. Yeah. Okay. To the time. Anyway, it wouldn't be, it's never the worst thing in the world to be in Greece. It's always great there. So we'll see. But yeah, that's the plan. I still have those dreams, but I'm also trying to not squeeze on them too tight. Cause I think that that's a tough way to, to embrace the world right now. That's really healthy. So healthy. Mileage, when you were doing um, 10K versus mileage now, like what's your weekly mileage differentials? I actually ran more mileage running the 10K than I do now. Um, I, ran, I ran like 100 to 120 oh. or so a week miles. And now I run less because um, I think I don't need that many miles. I think it's just more quality and um, I think I, I mean, I could, I could get up there closer to the marathon, but right now I'm trying to work on speed and all this stuff that doesn't require as much mileage. It just requires more intensity. 
Yeah, it's really, that's really impressive. You're a bad A. You know, and advice for our athletes, right? Because, you know, we're in a similar situation in terms of not, not from Olympic perspective, but from our seasonality. We had to cancel the season this year halfway through or a third way through. We're supposed to start uh, matches in, in February. Most likely that'll be mid-spring, you know, but they still have to train. What, what's the best advice that you can give, you know, our, our professional athletes and our up-and-coming athletes in terms of how they manage that, 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 that there is, it's not necessarily a known um, that you know, yeah. do that as well. I think to work on your weaknesses now while you have time, like I know athletes who are just doing things they would never have time to do because they're always in season. So if there's like some inherent or intrinsic weakness, like get that sorted out now um, so that you're stable and healthy when you need to be. Um, and then I think with like training, to continue to call it practice, even if you're just meeting yourself, is such a crucial thing because it just like allows you to take it, um, like as a real, you know, a real thing. Like even if the person you're meeting tomorrow is just yourself or one friend, to call it practice is like those labels are so important, right? Just like labeling your goals. I think to label the everyday task of it, if you are training still, um, is important and is empowering. Yeah. And I love that. And I, for our company as well, we've had to, you know, transition from being a, you know, what live sport, live entertainment sports company. to really basically being a media company and, you know, podcasts and virtual meet and greets and really driving content creation online. And, but that shift, we probably wouldn't have done it nearly as early in our, in our young um, company life if it hadn't been for COVID. So making the, that transition to things that we can work on today has actually been really important. Speaking of younger athletes, what advice would you give to your younger self now? Um, I think I would tell myself that like, you won't like, you won't feel this way forever. And I think that that's like a bittersweet thing where, you know, that could mean in any one painful moment, you won't feel that forever. You won't feel, you might not feel the same desire for doing X, Y, or Z forever. So just do it now. I think it's just allowing yourself to be exactly where you are and know that like without our own trying things will evolve um so just you know be in in the moment you're in and know that it will it will shift i love that understanding the transition will come and 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 you've done a very good job we talked about kind of managing the other parts of your brain outside of an athlete and letting your creative go you know, but also managing that media landscape and, and having a presence on social media and, and, and really having a compelling narrative that you share with, you know, uh, continuing to grow fan base. What, what kind of advice could you give to our athletes in, in that regard, going from just focusing on being an athlete to having a bit more of a holistic approach to, you know, the, the whole media piece as well and their future? Yeah. Well, I think that it is a business, right? You're like, you're, you're an entrepreneur when you're an athlete. So to figure out what can make you indispensable and it can be social media, but it can be a lot of things. There are athletes who've started like companies that are product related and that's what makes them indispensable, you know? So just understanding that the sport is a, is a privilege. It's not really a right. And so to earn that privilege, I think to think about yourself as a business is helpful and is, 
is also empowering because you know that you can drive your longevity by creating some some reason for for someone to care about you doing whatever it is that you're doing um and yeah i mean they can also read my book that's coming out no yes tell yeah. me about bravey yes how do i get bravey and when can i get bravey and i'm so excited bravey about it is coming out in january um it's available on all places where you buy books so amazon but also more local I think there's other booksellers that people also enjoy buying from. And it has a foreword by Maya Rudolph, who's one. Yeah, she's great. And, you know, we, I think it's going to make a big impact in the world. It deals a lot with mental health and chasing your dreams. And I think in some unexpected ways that uh, go beyond social media. And I think that's, that's important too, is that there's only so much that is like appropriate to share on social media. And I think some of the longer form storytelling can happen on podcasts and books. And uh, I hope that that book helps a lot of people. Awesome. When does it get released? So when can I buy it? You can buy it now and all pre-orders get champion gifts from my sponsors. (laughs) Um, So you should pre-order it honestly, and then you'll get it right on January 12th, which is when it comes out. Okay. I, I love that. Why January 12th? Is that a I, I, Books come out on Tuesdays, and okay. I guess that is just, it's a new year, new you book. So that's, that's, that's <laughs> I love it's that. a good good day, I guess. Um, I'm really excited to read it. So as an athlete, be an entrepreneur, make yourself indispensable. You know, the sport is a privilege, an absolute privilege. Uh, and, and see yourself as a business and um, that, that, process in and of itself becomes enormously empowering for the athlete. I absolutely love that. And we can all read about that in Bravey, which I'm really, really pumped about. Thank you. Yeah. And I hope I get to find my way back to Hanover. I love it there. And I really, I miss that, that feeling just being there. You, you guys should get in like a alum group of dog day players back. So it would be a force. That would be fantastic. Yeah, well, you know whose blurb? Um, there's a blurb on the back of my book by Mindy Kaling, and she was a fellow nice. Dartmouth yeah. Dog Day person. So I was so grateful for her support, and I think Dartmouth just has that nice community of of support of kind people that are hilarious, which I love. It last couple of questions, rapid fire. What's the least favorite thing um, that? Uh, what is it? How do, how do I always word this? It is. It is. What is your least favorite thing about the thing you like the most? How's that? <laughs> How's, um, okay. Uh, I okay. My least favorite thing about the thing I like the most. It's the I worst. Guess, like so hard. You know, I think it's that like I love sushi, but my favorite sushi place is where my dad lives. So I don't really want to like drive back to the Bay Area to get this sushi. <laughs> I like. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about your partner, but <laughs> or running, or writing, or filmmaking. But it comes down to sushi. I love it. Absolutely love it. What is something you've never done, done but want to try? Um, I want to do. I've, I've cross country skied like once, what? and I, I had a stunt double in Olympic Dreams, who was also a Dartmouth girl, Annie Hart. But um, I want to do more cross-country skiing because I, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't very good at it, but I like the idea of it. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, it's the greatest. Mm-hmm. 
it's it, especially for you as an elite runner. I mean, it's absolutely the greatest. Especially, yeah. Come on, we gotta get we gotta get you on that. And then, um, if you were running the free jacks, and I ask you this question, what would you be focusing on right now during this time? Just in general, yeah. Uh, I I guess just giving get like while focusing on your own team personal goals within the, you know, within the free jacks, I think figuring out what makes, what are you offering? What are you able to like offer the world that they, uh, they didn't realize they wanted or awesome needed. Nets. Yeah. Whatever it is. Like, <laughs> like, I think yeah. yeah. I think just like creating something that makes people want to like, sustain it you know that's all yeah absolutely okay and really does marigold win the race at the end that's up to you that's your decision (laughs) if you want to track town you will decide what happens to her folks (laughs) go check out track town and see what happens and then you can decide if plum marigold wins at the end yeah yeah most important question of the pod Lexi, so great to connect. I really, really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. If you, you know, if you end up chasing twenty twenty one, um, but as important, just with the continued career and filmmaking, and I cannot wait to get Bravey and uh, learn some more lessons. So, thanks for joining us today. Thank you.